Good morning. Would you open the word to Genesis chapter 31? We'll be reading together. Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father, Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When he was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban, with his kinsmen, pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me? so that I might have sent you away with mirth and with songs, with tambourine and lyre. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Farewell. Now you have done foolishly, if it is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. 
And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them, and she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By the day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and by and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadotha. But Jacob called it Galiad. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galiad and Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Have any of you ever hired a, a personal security staff detail? 
bodyguards? No. Yeah, I didn't think there would be anybody in here. I, I've certainly never had the need, uh, let alone the financial resources to, to hire a personal security detail. Uh, nor, I imagine, of, of many of you, but in case you're ever in the market, there's a company called Cast Global Security that's happy to oblige. And if you get on their website, they, they explain themselves this way, we are a niche provider of international executive protection focusing exclusively on high net worth individuals, families, I just sort of tapped out at that point, right? And or high value corporate undertakings. If you want like a layman's version of that, you're supposed to call these guys if you have an insane amount of money or you're about to make an insane amount of money. That's what Cast Global Security is all about. And on their website, they list five reasons why you should choose them over the competition for your protection. So in case you were thinking this holiday season, I could use a personal security detail. Uh, listen to how they argue that they're the best. Cast Global is a specialist provider focusing on quality over quantity. We don't provide armed guards for banks, work in projects, or for governments with fancy acronyms or otherwise dilute core competencies, reason one. Reason two, every member of our team is handpicked. We have staff that have three degrees and speak five languages while others have served in four different wars. Business model, Cast Global is long on operational tooth and short on administrative tail, able to charge lower rates than our competitors while providing superior service. Accountability. This company executes an in-depth action review after every mission, focusing on what went well, what didn't, and how to make it even better next time. Leadership. It's not hard to find leaders in Cast Global, or managers for that matter. It's bred into every one of us since day one. Our CEO knows almost all our clients from face-to-face -face experience. I'd hope so if you're paying these guys like millions of dollars. And, it, and is hands-on every day without trampling subordinates. If you, if you go through the rest of the website, you'll see all kinds of classy testimonies and stories of how they kept the good guys from being hurt by the bad guys. For all those reasons, you want Cast Global over the competition for your protection. That feels utterly irrelevant to some of you because you're thinking, I will never hire a security detail. But I, I share that with you because I think that website, hire us, not the other guys, for these reasons, is a good example of what God is doing in Genesis 31. Think about this. This book was most likely written by Moses sometime between Israel's exodus from Egypt and their entrance into the promised land of Canaan. Okay, that, that was a vulnerable time. That was an uncertain time. It was a time when the people of God had to decide who are we going to trust to protect us, to watch over us. Are we gonna trust the Lord our God or are we gonna trust the idols of Canaan? Are we gonna trust the Lord our God or are we gonna trust all the false gods that, that all the other nations and peoples around us are worshiping? It should have been an easy choice, right? The true God or false gods? Hmm, I'm not sure. Well, it should have been easy. But it wasn't easy and in that regard, 
They're just like us. Friends, we're surrounded by all manner of alluring offers of protection. And if the first one I described was out of reach for you or outside your personal experience, think about this. Trust your job skills. With a strong enough resume, you'll never lack for income. Trust your investments. If you acquire enough money, you can fix anything. Trust your insurance. Health, life, auto, home, long-term care, disability, liability. No matter what happens, you're covered. Trust your spouse, your friends, your parents, your, your pastors, the police, or the U.S. military. I mean, the, the list of possibilities just kind of goes on and on. I don't know how many of you saw Disney's old, 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 not the new one, the old, old, old movie, The Jungle Book. Do you remember what the snake caw sings to Mowgli in the old one? What's he sing? Trust in me, trust in me. Shut your eyes and trust in me. You can sleep safe and sound, knowing I am around. Always coiling around Mowgli's neck, right? Do you realize there are voices singing that to you all around you every day? Trust in me. Trust in me. And that means you have a choice to make, friend. Who will you trust to protect you? Who will you trust to deliver you from the all various forms of physical and spiritual oppression that threaten your life? Will you trust the Lord or will you trust someone or something else? That's, that's why we need Genesis 31 because in this chapter, the Lord answers a question that Israel had to answer and that we have to answer. And it's very simple. I told Eliza, so this sermon's gonna be very simple because it answers a very simple question. That's this. Why should we trust the Lord to protect us? If you've been in church long enough, you, you're like, I know the right answer. Go with God. Oh, okay, okay. Good for you, gold star. But why do we do that? Why should you trust the Lord to protect you? Well, here's the answer, okay? And we're gonna unpack this. What's Genesis 31 say? It says that you can trust the Lord as your protector because there is no other God who sees and saves. That's why. The contrast between Laban's injustice and Jacob's justice is palpable. You can feel it as you just keep reading, okay? But that's not the most important contrast in the story. You know what the most important contrast in the story is? It's between the God of Jacob and the household gods of Laban. The one true God who was worthy of being trusted for reasons we're gonna look at in just a minute and the household gods of Laban who couldn't do jack squat. This whole passage is dripping with irony. And remember the setting, 
This was a way of God reminding Israel back then and us today, you are a fool if you trust anyone but me. Don't be a fool. It's an even more concise way of summarizing it. And there are two things that God alone does for us in the midst of oppression that he does here for Jacob, two things that assert his unique identity and fill out that question, why should I trust the Lord as my protector? I mentioned them earlier, and the first one is this. Point number one, God sees us because he's with us. Why should we trust the Lord to protect us? You can trust the Lord as your protector, First, because there's no other God who sees us. He sees us because he's with us. So in order to wrap our minds around this, let, let's just do a little bit of quick review, okay? Because you can't understand what's going on in this chapter unless you get the last couple chapters. So in case you're new to church or to Genesis or to Kingsway, here you go. All right, in Genesis 29, a man named Jacob travels to his mom's family in Haran to find a wife where his uncle Laban forces him to work 14 years in exchange for not one wife, but two. That wasn't good, by the way, but that's what happened. 14 years for Leah and Rachel. And God blesses Jacob with a growing number of children. And eventually, Jacob comes to Laban and says, hey, Laban, I'm, I'm done with all of this. I'd like to go back home. I want to go back home to Canaan. And Laban says, mm, I don't want you to go back home. I don't want you to go back home, Jacob, because I have noticed, I've learned that God is blessing me because of you. God's blessing is on you. And if I let you and all my little grandchildren just sort of run their merry way away, God's blessing is just going to run its merry way away. So I don't really care about God, but I love the fact that you make my flocks and herds multiply. So I want you to stay with me and I'm willing to pay you. Jacob says, well, that's true. You're only blessed because of me. I get that. So I'll stay and work for you in exchange for all the striped, spotted and mottled animals born into your flock. But the ever greedy Laban, what's he do? He reneges on that deal as soon as it's signed and he takes all the multicolored animals out of the flock and sends them away to his sons to take care of them, leaving Jacob with nothing but normal animals. He, he defrauds him of his wages. But the Lord intervenes on Jacob's behalf, right? And he, he miraculously causes the number of multicolored animals to increase and the number of Laban's animals to, to decrease. So if you look at the end of Genesis chapter 30, verse 43, it's a good summary of the whole situation. Thus the man increased greatly, Jacob, and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. Now, if you're looking at that thinking, I don't want any of that stuff. I just want a new gaming system, all right? In, in that day, that's where it was at. Okay, that was wealth, prosperity, blessing, flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, donkeys. We can put in our own material possessions today. Jacob had it going for him. And before too long, 
Laban's sons are really jealous. Look at verse one, chapter 31. Jacob has taken all that was our father's and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. Second part true, first part false. And Laban agrees, verse two. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as with before. And at that point, what's the Lord say to Jacob? Jacob, it's time to go home. Verse three, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. So Jacob calls Rachel, he calls Leah. He actually starts exercising spiritual leadership for pretty much the first time in his life and begins to explain what God has been doing, what God just told him. And he makes a case for them to go in verse 11 where he recounts this dream God gave him. Look at verse 11, Genesis 31. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, spotted, and mottled. Try to say that three times fast. In other words, what's God telling Jacob? He's saying, Jacob, all your selective breeding practices aside, there is one reason and one reason only that you have been prospering. It's me. It's my favor on you. I'm the one who's brought your abundance to pass. I am moving sovereignly in the mating patterns of this flock. Only your animals are breeding, pal. Why do you think that is? That's me. Now look at verse 12. Because the end of verse 12, the Lord gives Jacob the reason for his supernatural abundance. What's he say to the man? For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Jacob, I see it. I'm the God who sees. The 20 years you've been little more than an indentured servant, I've been watching. The way Laban unjustly required you to pay him for every animal a wild beast killed by day or night, I've been watching. The way the heat has consumed your strength, I've been watching. The way the the cold has racked your bones, I've been watching. The way Laban always denied you the sleep your body needed, I've been watching. And the way he kept changing your wages to try to advantage himself and disadvantage you, I have been watching. God was watching. The whole time, 20 years, God was watching. Friend, if you're a Christian, your oppression at the hands of sinful men, whether it's intentional or unintentional, never escapes the gaze of the Almighty. And I say that with fear and trembling because I know so many stories of oppression from you. I don't say that flippantly, but I will say it again. Whether that oppression at the hands of sinful men is intentional or unintentional, it never escapes the gaze of the Almighty. 
Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Or Psalm 10, verse 11 and 14, the wicked says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He will never see it. But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hand. When you're feeling oppressed by men, what, what, what do you feel on the inside? Think about it. What do you feel in the midst of your pain? You feel lonely. You feel isolated. You feel abandoned. You feel forgotten. And, and honestly, if, could we just be honest? Even as Christians, we're not immune to those feelings. It's not like deciding to follow Jesus just sort of takes you on the life free of troubles train. It used to be we're driving down there. Now I'm up here where there's no tolls. It, no. When you're oppressed, you feel forgotten. Period. Even if you're a Christian. It's part of living in a fallen world, friends. But, but in those situations, if you are a Christian, please hear this. You have an assurance, you have a comfort, you have a source of abiding hope that an unbeliever does not have. You know what that is? You know, you know where the bidding starts for you with that comfort and assurance? It's this, I have a God who sees me right now. God sees God knows, God's intimately aware. His gaze of attention and concern is upon you always. And he's not just watching you to take kind of cosmic notes on what's happening around the world, okay? He's paying attention to you because you, Christian, are the chosen object of his steadfast covenant love and affection. That's why, look, look at verse 13, chapter 31. In verse 13, God tells Jacob why God sees and knows every last drop of suffering, injustice, and oppression that he's experienced at Laban's hand. Look at verse 13. I am the God of Bethel. Don't run over that, okay? For God to say, I am the God of Bethel. Notice he didn't say, I was the God of Bethel. It was to assure Jacob that the promises that he made to him at Bethel were not just like God's MO 20 years ago. You know what they are? They're God's covenant promise to Jacob right now. I am the God of Bethel. I still am. What, what did God promise him at Bethel? Genesis 28, 15. Behold, Jacob I'm with you. I'm with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. So, so think about that. Why did the Lord see Jacob? Why, why was the Lord ultimately aware on an intimate level of Laban's oppression, of, of all that this unjust guy was doing to hurt him, to discourage him, to defraud him, to manipulate him. Well, well the reason is simple, okay? The, the reason, the reason that the Lord was with Jacob is because he had made a covenant promise to Jacob. I'm with you because I've made a promise to you. And brothers and sisters, that is a beautiful part of your inheritance in Christ Jesus. Beautiful part, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, thank God, with us by the blood of Christ. 
So if you hear me saying, in all our oppression, if you're a Christian, God sees you and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world can I know that's true because I feel utterly forgotten right now? Well, the answer God gives to you is the same answer he gave to Jacob. Jacob, I see you because I am always with you. I'm always near to you. And what has God done for us in Jesus Christ? He has, through his shed blood, brought us near to himself. So we always know that the Lord is with us, and therefore we always know that the Lord sees us. So how in the world does that change your response to oppression? Well, think of it this way. Have you ever stopped to pray in the midst of suffering and felt at a complete loss for words? You ever done that? Like, I should pray right now. Okay. Okay, you forget it. <laughs> I felt that. You don't even know where to start. It's, it's disorienting. It's discouraging. Sometimes it makes you not even want to talk to God because you don't know what to say. It's like the awkward conversation you want to avoid. So let me just get back to whatever was distracting me and keeping me busy so I don't have to think about all that awkwardness. When that moment, friend, God has a precious gift waiting for you. And here's the gift, okay? Listen, he already knows your oppression. He already knows. He, he already sees what you're feeling. He hasn't forgotten you. He's with you. And sometimes, moving toward God in the midst of oppression just simply starts there. So for example, you, we can talk like this to the Lord. Father, thank you that you know. Thank you that you see. I, I don't have the words right now to describe all that I'm feeling, but I am so grateful that none of it is foreign to you. That all that I'm feeling right now is known by you. Thank, thank you for Christmas, God. Thank you for the incarnation, your, your birth and life in this world because it reminds me that your awareness of my oppression and sorrow is not a data point from afar, but your personal experience living in the same world. It's personal, it's experiential knowledge. You, you know my griefs, you know my sorrows because you were a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Friend, in the midst of our oppression, God sees us because he's with us. That's the first reason you should trust the Lord as your protector, okay? Here's the second one. God sees us because he's with us. Reason number two, God saves us because he's for us. He sees us because he's with us, but his activity, his trustworthiness, doesn't just stop with oppression duly noted. Oppression recorded. Oppression data point entered into cosmic database. Sometimes we think like that, right? Why? Because he doesn't even be doing anything. I mean, okay, you see. How about now you act? Well, look at verse five. Look back at verse five. There's something else about the Lord that Jacob's come to know. 
from personal experience, and he shares with Rachel and Leah. What's he say? I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. If you want to translate that literally, it would read more like this. I see that the face of your father is not with me. But, verse 5, what's the contrast? The God of my father has been with me. In other words, Rachel, Leah, the story of my life and all this suffering says that what this oppressive man has never been for me, God has been for me. It's the gift of God's presence again. But, but notice, it's not just the gift of God's presence in the form of proximity, but in the form of divine favor, right? So in other words, though Laban is clearly no longer for me, I know God is for me. Well, how does he know that? Look at verse seven. I've served your father, Laban, with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and, and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. <laughs> and if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. That's remarkable. <laughs> what's, what's Jacob saying? He's saying that no, that no matter what Laban tried to do to take advantage of him, it never worked. It never worked. It ultimately backfired and rained down trouble on Laban's own head. That's what he's saying. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of redemption. Redemption, that's a big word. What, what's it mean for God to be a God who redeems? Well, think of it this way, okay? It means God purposes and God delights, purposes and delights to take the most painful acts of human oppression and evil and work them for good in our lives. That's what it means for God to be a redeemer. That doesn't make evil things good, okay? God doesn't look at Laban's injustice to say, in the cosmic scheme of things, if you can only see what I see, it's blessing. No, it's injustice. But God doesn't just hold the line. Notice that. He didn't just try to maintain the status quo or, or keep Jacob from losing ground. What did he do? He used the very acts of oppression that Laban thought would crush Jacob and hurt Jacob and bring Jacob down and keep him down to what? to strengthen and prosper Jacob. That's what he did. I mean, I see that and I say, would to God, redemption was always that tangible in our lives. <laughs> right? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes one of you comes to me and says, Matthew, guess what? What? <laughs> I just lost my job. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, 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 don't freak out. God just gave me an unbelievably better job that I never saw coming. Whoa, praise God, right? Stripes are growing, models are growing, amazing. But many times God's redemption isn't that tangible. Sometimes it seems as though in a, 
physical sense that our oppression and suffering are winning the day, right? So what do we do then? Run from God? Deny God? Throw out everything anyone has ever told us because it doesn't line up with my little experiential life data point and my little experiential life data point is the sum measure and total of all that is true in the universe. Thank you very much. What we do is we remember the words of the apostle in 1 Peter 1, 6, okay? For a little while, Some of you living under oppression right now really need to hear this, okay? For a little while, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter's saying what? That our our present oppression, our present unjust treatment at the hands of men that hurts so badly is what? It's part of God's divine design to test and prove and temper our faith so that on that day, right? The day the Lord returns to judge the living and the dead, Jesus Christ will receive more honor and more praise and more glory and more thanksgiving and more glad worship than if our faith had not been tested. And you know what that test for you? What that test is whether the glory of Christ is of greater value to us than comfort in this world. Because if it's not, what I just said will offer you no good news. But if it is, friend, then what I just said is absolutely glorious. Because nothing is of greater worth than the glory of Christ. And nothing brings more enduring and satisfying, thirst-quenching blessing to the soul than the exaltation of Christ. And so the let's hit pause and wait for the tangible redemption thing is not what I would choose. But God says it's exceedingly good because Christ is exceedingly glorious. Remember that. God proved that he was for Jacob. Remember, we're arguing here that he saves us because he is for us. God proved he was for Jacob by redeeming his oppression and using it for good and he will not fail to do the exact same thing for all who are in Christ. But I want you to notice something here, okay? God God didn't stop with saving Jacob by multiplying and protecting his possessions, okay? He also saved Jacob by protecting his life. There are a lot of other examples of that in here. So when, when Laban learned Jacob had fled, look at verse 23. He sent him a, a greeting card. Uh, no, 
To the contrary, he pursued him for seven days with reinforcements and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. Okay, those are military words, all right? Threatening words. That, that's not grandpa looking to give one last hug. That, that is the vicious pursuit of a man who has been blinded by greed. And no matter what he sees, he's convinced it's his. And so Jacob's helpless. He's helpless. He's got nothing but a bunch of moms and children and bleeding animals. Verse 24, look there. So what happened? But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Okay, now... It's really clear by this point in Genesis that Laban doesn't give a rip what is moral or righteous, okay? He, he could care less, all right? He has yet to meet a rule that can't be bent or broken for the sake of making an extra buck. So he's not the kind of guy that would be dissuaded from doing something because of that helpful little voice in your head, okay? That's not Laban. He's pretty much demonstrated he doesn't have a conscience, so what does God do? What's God do? He puts the fear of God in Laban by appearing to him in a dream and telling him to back off. You realize it's, that's all it took. That's all it took. A single dream, a single command, crisis averted, threat nullified. Except, God never responds to crisis. Why not? Proverbs 21, verse 1. Because the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he wills. He always does what he pleases. God, God doesn't have a crisis intervention plan. Because he's God. He does whatever he pleases. And even this, this non-aggression pact that Laban soon signs into the chapter with Jacob, it's an expression of God's power to save, right? Because what happens through the Lord's deliverance? Jacob goes from being treated like little more than an indentured servant to being treated, really having his favor curried as an equal. And this covenant of peace that they sign is a type, it's a foretaste of the eternal covenant of peace that Jesus will bring to pass at the end of the age when sin and suffering and death and sorrow are no more. It's a foretaste of that. In other words, if you're in Christ, this is your future, okay? God will either make all your enemies to be at peace with you because they have been reconciled to him or he will take them out. That's your future. Oppression, in other words, isn't going to get the final word. Christ Jesus is going to have the final word. You need to hear that. Oppression isn't going to be laughing at the end of the movie. Jesus is going to be reigning at the end of the movie. And the scars in his hands and feet inside bear witness to the surety of that inheritance, Christian. And they provide for you an infinitely greater and inviolable witness 
to the eternal security you have in Christ that is a far better witness than any pile of stones or pillar that Jacob and Laban set up. Because it's written in his own hands. God sees us because he's with us. Because of Christ, God saves us because he's for us. Both of those blessings ultimately come to us. God gives them to us through Jesus, which is why those gifts are reserved for those who choose to repent of their sins and follow Jesus. Okay, but I want you to remember right now something I said at the very beginning. Because this is where we really start to find this chapter getting up in our business. Remember I said that the Lord's goal in intervening in Jacob's life and the way he did wasn't just to reveal that he is a God who sees and that he is a God who saves, though he does both of those things, okay? Rather, it's to prove once again that we should choose to trust the Lord as our protector because there is no other God who sees and saves. You see the difference? The point of this chapter is not just that, hey, good news, we found a God out there. He's got a cool website and on the website, like the security company, I see, I say, that sounds great. Let's go with you. I mean, there's competition, but, but you look good. I'll try you out. All these Christian people seem so nice and which sure seems to be working for them. So, so yeah, all I need is you. I mean, for a couple weeks and then if you don't deliver, maybe I'll be done with you. We need to be immunized against that kind of response. And so God is lovingly and kindly and graciously confronting us, friend, you and I, with the fact, not just I see and save, but there is no other God that sees and saves. And if you feel vulnerable right now, you really need to hear that and you really need to wrestle with that. Whether that's vulnerable spiritually, vulnerable economically, vulnerable relationally, you have a very real choice that you have to make right now if you feel vulnerable right now. Who am I going to trust to protect me? Who am I going to trust? Will I trust the Lord or will I, I trust something else? And if you feel in your vulnerability, friend, be honest right now that that choice is just kind of looming before you every day you wake up, then you need to look at verse 19. Why do I say that? Because before Jacob's family left Haran, his wife Rachel did something that was very wrong. She stole her father's household gods. She shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. But, <laughs> knew this was coming, God used her sin and even the way she covered it up and hid her sin to make two powerful spiritual points that are the exact opposite of the two points I just made in this sermon. So think with me here, okay? What does Yahweh do? What does the God of Jacob do? He saves his people, right? That was point two. 
He stops sin and oppression, even if we have to wait to glory to see this, from stealing our joy and destroying our life. That's what Yahweh does. What do Laban's household gods do? (laughs) They can't even save themselves. Do you see that? They had to be saved. And and they're utterly helpless the very moment Laban walks off to shear his sheep. It's ridiculous. I mean, contrast, Yahweh is a God who saves his people. How about Laban's household gods? They can't even save themselves. What else does Yahweh do? He sees people, right? That was point one. He's intimately aware of his people. He, he knows exactly where we are in the midst of oppression, exactly what's going on. Nothing is hidden from his gaze. How about Laban's household gods? How about them? Well, they are completely incapable of seeking out Laban. Why? Because pitiful Laban has to go seek them out himself. Except even when he tries to, he what? He can't find them. He's practically right next to them, but, but he can't even see them and they can't even find him. Why? Because they are utterly inept. They're powerless. And in that moment, I mean, the insanity of it is just almost laughable. You've got... Laban scurrying around. The, the same word that's used when Jacob is, when Laban is feeling through Rachel's tent, Leah's tent, is the same word that was used of Isaac when he's trying to feel, is it Jacob or Esau? He's relying on his senses. He's not listening to the Lord, looking to the Lord for help, to the Lord for blessing. It's all about what he can feel. And the crazy thing is, when he does that, he's functionally blind. And in that moment, what's happening to the household gods? What's kind of graphic, actually, Rachel's sitting on them, defiling them like a menstrual cloth. I mean, you you want a graphic image? That'll get your attention. The Lord sees Jacob. The Lord saves Jacob. And household gods of Laban are utterly inept. What's the point, Israel? What's the point for us today? In the midst of your oppression, trust the Lord to be your protector because there is no other God who sees and saves. That's the point. He has no equals, friend. He has no rivals. He doesn't need a marketing specialist or a website that can distinguish him like Cast Global from the competition because God has no competition. Isaiah what? 46.1. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. These were the false gods of the time. Their idols are on beast and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. Whatever the donkey does, Bell does. They can't save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. So, listen to me, O house of Jacob. We can just hear the Lord confronting us, friends, and the utter insanity that it is when we look to all sorts of other people and things to deliver and protect us, except the one true God. Listen to me, Jacob all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, 
even to your old age, I'm still he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. Some of you are grateful for that. I have made and I will bear. I will carry. I will save. Friend, you can trust the Lord as your protector because there's no other God who sees and saves. Everything else that you are prone to rely on, that you are prone to lean on, that you are prone to come to and say, deliver me, help me, rescue me, health, wealth, relationships, hard work, education, retirement, savings, you name it. It's not worthy of your trust. It's not worthy of your trust. Why? Because those things can't see you. <laughs> I told you it'd be simple. Your retirement account is not watching you right now. Okay? Your boyfriend or girlfriend or desired boyfriend or girlfriend cannot redeem your soul from hell. Only God sees. Only God saves. Don't be a fool and trust something else. Look at verse 42. Jacob summarizes though the whole point of this chapter. It's a long one, but, but it's pretty simple if you boil it all down. Verse 42. By, by the way, before I read this, you realize it took 20 years of suffering and oppression to bring Jacob to a point where he could say this with a modicum of integrity, with conviction, not with, I heard in Sunday school that this is true. I know this is true. Oppression has a way of, creating and testing and building that faith in us. Verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you Laban would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction, God sees the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night, pal. God saves, he sees, he saves. Now we know something Jacob did not, right? We know that he only escaped condemnation ultimately because Rachel's sin remained hidden. Laban never found the gods. Friend, our sin is not hidden. It's completely visible before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account and like Laban in verse 50, we know, every human being on this planet, Romans 1, knows he's watching. Even as we're making fools of ourselves, trusting and running around, looking at all the stuff of this world for eternal protection from sin and death that only God can provide. So what's our hope? Our only hope is to turn from all our false gods, all our inept idols, and fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. He's, he's the only one that can save us. And praise God that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has made a way to save us, right? Praise God for that. The fact that the Father sent the Son, a la Christmas, proves that God sees the oppression of sin and death, right? And the fact that God sent the Son and the Son died for us and rose from the grave for us, Easter, proves what? That God saves us from the oppression of sin and death. It's Christmas and Easter that ultimately prove that what God was doing in Jacob's life back then is exactly what God is doing in our lives today. He sees, he saves. So don't do 
what Laban did. Verse 53, and simply acknowledge God's existence or recognize that, that he's someone else's God. And that's great because that seems to work for you. Don't do that. Choose today to trust Yahweh. Make the one true God who has no competitors your God. Call upon him, serve him, fear him like Jacob did, and then watch and wait, friend, as the one true God does what only he can do. He sees you. He saves you. Make him your protector. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is what we call a stiff word. But we need them because we are stupid. (laughs) We are foolish so often. We, in our insanity and folly, go feeling around like a blind man for household gods that cannot see and cannot save. And so, Father, I pray at the outset of this Christmas season that you would reorient our trust, that we would choose to trust you as our protector because we're convinced and our faith is growing through your spirit that only you see and only you save. Give us an exclusive, idol banishing, false God destroying love for you. That's what we need, Lord. For who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save. Faithful in love, you have paid our debt. The victory over oppression is won. You save. Thank you.